Thanks to the Lord. Amen. <laughs> it's our fifth Sunday, and uh, some of you are wondering, oh, gee, why aren't we having a potluck? That's on me. We forgot to announce it, and we figured if we didn't announce it, then we couldn't just have you show up and say, oh, by the way, so we won't have a potluck, and we'll get back to that tradition of having a potluck on the fifth Sunday in a future fifth Sunday. So, uh, But we are doing what we always do on a fifth Sunday, and that's something different. We don't have a sermon per se. We have a theme that we like to feature. And if you remember, our last fifth Sunday was the Sunday that we chose to ordained three new elders, the first new elders in 21 years. And let me just tell you that these elders have been seated with us now for a couple of months in our elders' meetings, and they are absolutely everything we knew that God was bringing us as uh, new leaders as part of this fellowship. They have, they have quickly jumped right in and, uh, and, and taken on this role of uh, leading this church, and we're so grateful for them. When we... Uh, ordained the elders a couple months ago on the fifth Sunday. We wanted to tell you a little bit more about them. We wanted you to have just a chance to hear their heart and get to know them, but it wasn't really time to do all that uh, on that ordination Sunday. So we thought we would have maybe this is part two of that. And so we asked these guys if they would uh, be willing to come up and share briefly each of them uh, so you would have that chance to just hear their heart, to get to know them a little bit more. And uh, because our, our hope, our prayer is that, you know, one of the things that I love about this church is that the elders feel really appreciated by this body. We feel appreciated. We feel respected. We feel truly knit together with you. We are among the flock, as Scripture says, but we have a specific leadership role that God's given us. But we feel so accepted and loved and appreciated And we want you to have the same opportunity to accept and love and appreciate these new elders. So we thought this is our first step. You'll see them, you know, through the coming weeks and months in different kinds of public ministry that they're already involved with. And uh, you'll see that so you'll have a chance to get to know them more. So that's why we decided to do what we're doing this Sunday. So we'll have them come uh, one at a time. We figured that would be clearer if they came one at a time rather than have them all get up here at once. And uh, so we're first going to hear from John and then we're going to hear from Steve, and then we're going to hear from James. And so let's give our attention to our brothers here. Good morning. I drew the alphabetical short straw. So um, this morning Meg told me, reminded me I needed to speak up, but since she's in Sunday school, I'm going to have to talk really loud. Um, so Bill said briefly, but they told me 10 minutes. That's a different version of brief. Um, but to tell you about myself is kind of a thing to, to basically tell my testimony. And uh, growing up, I grew up in a, a pastor's home, and so testimonies often were uh, someone getting up and telling how bad their life had been, and then it ended with, and then I got saved. Uh, but my story is a little different. My, my growing up years was um, very nurturing. You know, my, my dad, as a pastor and a good father, raised me to know God. Uh, and, uh, I knew a lot about God, and I knew a lot about um, a sin and what I should avoid and all that stuff. And so I grew up in, 
in this knowledge, but I didn't have the relationship. And so as I grew and grew, I, I really didn't want to be a part of the world. I really liked my identity as a, a Christian. I gave my heart to God as a, a young man. And I grew in that, but then eventually it wasn't the corruption of the world that got me. It was the corruption that was inside of me that I understood that sin was born in me. And instead of the influences of the world taking me out of God's grace, it was actually my selfishness that, that took me out of his grace. Through a, a faithful, prayerful, godly wife, I came to know grace. I came to know the true depth of my sin, and I came to know the, the grace of God's redemption. Uh, early in our marriage, I recommitted my life and started the relationship part of my, my journey with God. I began to renew um, what I knew about his faithfulness and what I knew about his word, and it started to make sense. It really started to click in what the stories really were about. Then I became a father with Evangeline, and my relationship changed with God. I started to really understand him as a father, him protecting us, him bringing us through things, him growing us. That was the, the real shocker to me was he doesn't want us to just get saved. He wants us to grow. And so I started to really understand that. And as I looked at how she was growing and how I was growing as a father, it, it was really uh, nurturing to my spiritual life as well. And then Eleanor came along, and I started to understand we are individuals. Wow, we're different. And God deals with us, as I deal with my children, differently. He has timing for all of us. And so it really brought about a new part of my understanding. And then Jonathan, we're still working on that one. Um, he is unique. Uh, and, and I'm really growing. Um, so with all of that, during that time, we started to uh, come together more as a family and really trying to teach them uh, biblical values and not just the 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 principles that I was raised in, but also getting them to understand the relationship and uh, so that they don't miss out on, on what I missed out on, you know. So um, that's where um, our journey towards TCF kind of started as our family is uh, discipling our children. Um, God led us here. We know that. Um, it, it seems that we were prayed in. We prayed for uh, God to put us in a place that would nurture us, that would uh, use us, and, uh, and it turns out that we find out that uh, the elders had basically prayed us in, and we were very thankful for that. Um, we were looking for a church that had the type of principles, the type of teaching, the type of family, and when we came here our first month, I don't think we went home for lunch. Uh, almost immediately, the Shepherds had us over, uh, the Stobbs had us over, Linda Steed had us over, um, and others. Uh, if I'm forgetting anyone, I'm sorry. Uh, but we found ourselves in a very hospitable place, but also a very godly place. We were, we were here uh, the week before Bible Bowl started. So I walked into Bible Bowl, and it makes pregame look like child's play. Uh, Coach Bill's whistle is not decorative. Um, but it showed us 
they want to put the word of God into children. And just like I remembered as I was going through my journey, all the things that I had learned growing up, that word of God came back to me in those times that I needed to be discipled. And so that word of God planted in those children really does return. It's great, great returns, great uh, yield. So um, I stepped into the uh, Sunday night seminar, and I'm sure it was Jim Garrett. I've learned a lot under him. Um, and just saw how they pull the word of God and explain it. And it's so, so deep, and it's so refreshing to hear that kind of teaching that it, it truly is inspired. So as I was um, you know, going through all these times and seeing, like, this is the church for us, you know, we started to get involved with the first um, Sunday school. Meg started teaching that. And pretty soon, Jim Grinnell showed up and decides to recruit Meg into basic. And it's like, well, we don't really have any basicers. We don't really have any experience that way, but sure, yeah. So uh, we kind of worked some things around, and Meg started working with the basicers. And about a year later, Jim Grinnell shows up again. And he recruits me to come alongside. And so we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And sure enough, we, God kind of showed us that was the way to go. And so we began to plug in more and more with uh, the church. And it felt right. And, it, um, you know, the shortcomings that I felt I had, you know, God just said, you know, there's grace for that. Um, so we've been working with the basicers for about two years now. Well, last May, Jim Grinnell shows up again. And uh, this time with Bruce Clutter, and he sits down and he shows me this page that the, outer, uh, the elders have outlined what they feel is the biblical uh, role of leaders and elders and the requirements of them. And so as I'm reading it, I'm like, okay. And, you know, I ask them, you know, a couple of questions, and they ask me a couple of questions. And as I'm thinking about it later, it's, it shows me this is a testimony. This is a part of my testimony. Way back when, when I got, I rededicated my life, that was a part of it. That was kind of the, the journey, the start. But this, this page, is kind of a, a workman checks off a list of, uh, of things that have been repaired or, or fixed or, or built. Um, and not to say that I've done any of it. It's the power of God that has changed my life from not knowing him and not having that relationship to now he's putting his character and building in me. And so I'm looking at that list. It, it's, that's a part of my testimony. It's, it's a great part of my testimony uh, and his faithfulness to change lives, his power. Um, so as we... Um, we prayerfully considered eldership as um, we looked over, you know, what we're doing and what they're asking to do, asking us to do. I think almost immediately as they were sitting there talking to me about it, I, I felt like a sense of inevitability, but we went home and, and prayed about it for a couple of weeks anyway. <laughs> I was probably more praying for a, a reason not to do it, but um, it felt right, and I say that in a sense that um, there's been many, many, many times that we've been in the car going home from church that 
Meg and I will just look at each other and say, we are so grateful for the elders of this church and their leadership, and not just because of what comes from the pulpit, but even that, what we see come from the hallways and the conversations we overhear, um, the phone calls that we've uh, had, the emails that have been sent out, and just the gratefulness for their service and their faithfulness to this body, not to just be here, but to lead, and to lead by example. And that was now my calling. So um, it just it, it felt right, but it also it's humbling to, to be a part of that group. And it, it, sent, it, it seems like a, an apprenticeship, if I could say it that way, uh, which I'm very grateful. So I'm going to say um, that's kind of my journey. That's where that's kind of my testimony. But uh, please be faithful in praying for the leadership and, and for our family especially, and we will continue praying for you guys. So thank you. Don't we love the failures? They're just awesome. This is all still pretty bizarre to me because, as you know, I've spent a great deal of my life behind the scenes doing audio, video work, all these different things, and so being in front of people and in front of a microphone is just weird. So pray for me on that front. So um, I scripted everything out so that I wouldn't say anything that was perhaps uh, subversive, so don't worry there. Uh, I was born right here in Tulsa, and for a brief time I, as a little toddler, I lived at a place called uh, the Jesus Inn at 518 Xanthus, if you know that little fun fact for you. So that has always given me a real special connection with Gordon and Sue and the Jesus Inn just because I was, you know, there a long time ago. Uh, I spent most of my childhood in rural northwest Arkansas. I graduated from the U of A and moved to Tulsa permanently in 1990 to study at uh, ORU. During my very la uh, lo last semester, after a long career in college, uh, I encountered the most beautiful creature that I'd ever seen gliding across the floor at the deli at the ORU LRC. And after a while, I worked up enough nerve to ask her out. And finally, uh, she agreed to go on a date with me after a couple months. And Well, about a year later, uh, Christina, Olivia, and I were married. And she is, of course, my best friend and the love of my life. Uh, one fun fact about Christina that you might not know, she spent a good deal of her childhood on the mission field. She lived in the Philippines, Germany, Fort Smith, Arkansas, as a mission field unto itself, <laughs> if you've ever been there. Uh, and as you probably know, we have two wonderful daughters. Emily is a freshman at TCC, and Erin is in her junior year of high school. Um, I, I want to tell you that a, you know a couple of years after we were married, uh, we we began looking for a church in earnest, um, which was actually just driving around trying to figure out where in South Tulsa we were going to go. So it was sort of out of the way that we drove up this way and, and thought, well, okay, there's a funny-looking brick church. Let's try that one. So we visited a couple times, and we simply were not very impressed. Um, I say that because it was amazing the change that came within the next few years in our hearts. Um, Little did we know that, uh, you know, this church that had perhaps a different type of the hyped-up energy that we saw in a lot of other places would really save our lives. And um, we were really struck from the get-go 
as John even said, you know, by the just genuineness and sincerity that we felt of people striving hard after Jesus. And so we started attending regularly soon after that visit. I think it was in, I want to say, 96 or 97. So it's been a while. Um, But we encountered a really difficult time in our marriage soon after we started coming here. And the elders and their wives and many of you just put your arms around us and surrounded us, covered us, counseled us. And during that time, we grew so much. And you know how sometimes during a really hard time, you just you really grow because you're in the grinder, as, as, per se. And through God's grace, we, we survived. Um, so we're grateful to everyone that was involved in our early marriage troubles, as you might say. You know, it was just such a trying time. And I think it's appropriate for me to call out that Joel Vassan and, and Ruth spent about a year memorizing scripture with me and Chris weekly. And, and Joel, I honor you for that. I thank you for that. That, that really changed my life. And, and that was just a, a really neat thing that happened. So Chris and I are just really deeply uh, grateful and honored to, to be a part of this fellowship. We love you all very much, uh, or we wouldn't have stuck around for 20 years. Um, this is where we love to be, and you are our family. But I have to tell you that this year has been really taxing for the Staubs, and I want to share with you what has been in my heart for the past few months. So I want to say this. If everything is going rosy in your life, if you just don't, you know, you're firing on all cylinders, tune me out. Just get on your iPhone and check your email, whatever. But if it's not, I I want to share some things with you. Uh, A quote that Gordon shared a few months ago, just really struck me, described perfectly where I was. It says, Christians must be baptized in anxiety, distress, affliction, persecution, suffering, and even death. Now, sometimes that's really our reality, isn't it? I mean, that's just where we are. Sometimes it's not, but boy, that's where I've been this year. And perhaps you're here today fighting for your life. You're in the fight of your life, and none of us want the pain or anguish, do we? That's not what we want. And we fight against the fact that we have these things. But if you're at the end of your rope or close to it and you're under a great pressure, I want to say this. You're in a good place. You're not out of the will of God. You're in a great place. I want to say to you, please hold on. If you're where I've been this year, just hold on. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take courage and wait for the Lord. This one we all know and love, especially the second part. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions, they never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. So I want to tell you, wait for the Lord. I want to ask you to hang on and hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Fight for hope. Does that sound familiar? Does anybody remember this? Earlier this year, Bill spoke about the emotional roller coaster we experienced. What a timing that was for me. I was, dude, I mean, the biggest roller coaster you can think of. And that's where when Bill comes out with his meshes, I'm like, oh, God, that's great. You know, so encouraging. But the emotional roller coaster that we experienced just trying to stay out of the pit of despair. Have you ever been there? I mean, have you been in that place where I I describe it like this? 
my heart inside of me has these big tentacles like in a Marvel comics of death gripping, going, ah, I'm going to take your heart and rip it out. And you're like, oh, what do I do? Well, Bill said, many of us are on that roller coaster, and I quote the right Reverend Sullivan, we're fighting for hope. We're back and forth, trusting God one moment, then back down at the bottom of the coaster we go. Our, own, our soul is downcast. And then we're headed back up, finding moments of relief from the physical and emotional pain, and then we're back down, barely clinging to hope. Our grip is tentative, and we fear that we're going to let go. If that's you today, cry out to the Lord. Don't just sit there. Cry out to Him. Say, I need hope. I need that hope, because that's where I've been this year. Bill also reminded us, Again, quoting, if it's okay for Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh to say, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? I mean, what could be a more pitiful cry? Why have you forsaken me? I don't know what to do. I am stuck, and I think I'm just going to die, if nothing else, from the emotional turmoil. The Word tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured, he endured. I'm going to say this, please don't put your hope in a dramatic change, a shift in your circumstances. Don't put your hope there. Put your hope in the one who gave his life for us, Jesus. Cry out to him. And if your hope is failing, then I'm going to ask you, this is my third point. You know, you're supposed to do things in three points, right? Wait for the Lord. Hope in the Lord. If your hope is failing, make a resolution to trust in the Lord. I found this year I have had to fight, you know, sometimes 4 o'clock in the morning, just waking up, ah, I'm really scared. No, I'm going to trust God. I'm just shifting my mind and saying, no, I'm going to trust him. Psalm 34:19 says, really familiar verse. 34:19. anybody know it off the top of their head? Many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. What a great promise, right? Good promise. The verse right before it, has been so wonderful to me this year. God is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Is that not an incredible... I think of it this way. Let that promise, God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit, like a warm blanket when you're in the hospital, just put it around you and say, God is close to the brokenhearted. And he, he saves those who are crushed in spirit. We can do this. One more verse that I want to share, the last one. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. We were under great pressure. You remember, that's what I said. We're going to shift gears. I'm going to talk about pressure. I don't know why, but pressure. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Have you been there? I had never really been there until this year. And this year, yeah, I think I'm going to just pass out and die because of all the stuff. We're despised of, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt as if we'd received the sentence of death. That's become a really neat scripture to me this year, as ironic as that sounds. Well, does that sound like you today? Is that where you're at? So I just want to remind you, I want to remind all of us, to make a resolution again to surrender, that's an act, to surrender our hearts, our emotions, our minds to the reality that Jesus suffered and died a horrific death on the cross invites us in that suffering to share that suffering, to share it 
for the purpose of sharing his glory. That's, that's tough sometimes when you're just crushed under the weight of everything to say, man, I'm not going to make it. But the, his glory is in the future. The next part of 2 Corinthians says this, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I mean, what can be a more stark example of the impossible than he raises the dead? He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and we, he will continue to deliver us. So if you're in that situation today, keep the hope alive. He's going to deliver you. The heavenly Father who raised Jesus from the dead, he will not let you come to ruin. He will deliver you. So I'm, my word to you today is hang on. Hang on. We can do this. Thank you. My presentation also have three parts, a beginning, a middle, and yes, I promise it will have an end. My wife jokes I should get a t-shirt that says, help me, I'm a teacher, I can't shut up. <laughs> There's some truth to that. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with a little bit of backstory. Um, I reckon most of you uh, know a lot more about Amy probably than you do about me because uh, she's been here for a lot of her life. Um, I've only been a member here, was it five years, six years now? And I wouldn't have been except for VBS. Uh, so if, if I tried to convince you that I felt awkward and uncomfortable being on stage talking to a bunch of people, you probably wouldn't believe me. Um, 20 years of teaching teenagers will kind of burn that out of you. Uh, Amy and I met at ORU. Um, she was a print journalism major. And I was a secondary science ed major. And I'm, I'm that weird guy that dissected human bodies for fun. And when I say that to people, I usually get one of three responses. Some people say, oh, that is so cool. Tell me more. Some people say, you, okay, you're officially the weirdest elder we have now. <laughs> and then there's some people that say, don't tell me any more or I'm going to barf. So if you want to hear more about that, I'll tell you later. Um, we, uh, at, at ORU, it was really God that brought us together. Um, and I knew it was because I had tried to pursue relationships with other people before, and God in his mercy made sure all of them detonated in my face. So with Amy, I, I knew it wasn't me because I was, I was firmly planted on the break. And Amy knew it wasn't her. Uh, but then all of a sudden, there we were, together, all the time. And I'm not going to tell all the rest of that story because it would take a lot of time, and we don't have a lot of time, but um, God brought us together. And it was important to me that he did uh, because every marriage uh, will get tested. Um, I found out in college that everything you say you believe in will get tested by fire once, once you leave home. And so you not only need to know what you believe, you need to know why you believe it. And you need to be able to explain that to people. So every time our marriage has been tested, it has been important to me to be able to say to myself, I know that God made this happen. 
This was God's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And so I know he's going to bring us through. Uh, while we were younger and our family was growing, uh, we were at a Reformed Episcopal church called St. Michael's in Broken Arrow. Uh, I had grown up Episcopalian, been in the Episcopal church for 18 years. Kneeling benches, smells and bells, the whole works, uh, sort of diet Catholic. Uh, <laughs> Catholic light, whatever. Um, and and Amy, Amy had been here. So, so when we got together, we, we had some, some differences. Uh, we ended up going to this Reformed Episcopal Church uh, for about seven years, and it was a good place to be. At, at that time in our lives, it had a lot of uh, very well-established Christians in it. They knew the Word, they knew God, and they helped mentor us a lot, especially in marriage. And um, God planted in us a desire... Uh, for more learning in, in that area. We um, found out that it was very important to us to not only to understand but to promote godly masculinity and godly femininity and godly roles in marriage. Uh, also during that time, um, we found put in us a, a desire to live out in the country. That was new to me. I'm a city boy, city slicker. Um, I spent most of my childhood growing up uh, in or around Sepulpa and Tulsa. I uh, spent two years in Arizona and two years in Muskogee. And I was actually born in Arkansas. I guess to be a new elder now, you have to have a beard, two daughters, and be born in a southern state that starts with A. I don't know. but <laughs> Didn't know that was a qualification. But... Um, we also, during those years, um, felt very called to homeschool our children. Amy had grown up homeschooled, but that was all brand new to me. But the more I looked into it, and especially the more I taught other people's kids, the more I really wanted to teach my own. Um, so God put those dreams in us, and um, as, as we prayed and thought and talked together, and she introduced me to coffee, that was a good thing. Uh, those, those dreams continue to grow and, and are still growing, still important to us. Um, so uh, after about six, seven years at St. Mike's, uh, we realized that we were growing and God was doing something in us and the church was not. Uh, we had tried uh, everything there once. We had been in charge of everything there once. And since we couldn't be in charge of everything at the same time, we would hand off one hat and pick up another, and every hat we took off just laid there. Nobody else would pick it up. So after a while, we were pretty burned out. Uh, and so we decided, you know, since this church isn't growing and our family is, we need to find somewhere else. So guess where we found? Lifechurch.tv. Big shift. If you've never heard of or experienced Lifechurch.tv, bring your earplugs. Telling you now, it is loud and proud. They got the laser lights and the smoke, and, and it's, it's like a rock concert, really. Um, God's there, uh, but it was just really loud. And <laughs> what we found that we liked the most was we found um, the beginnings of community with people our own age. We hadn't had that at St. Michael's. We were the youngest involved couple under the age of 50 at St. Michael's. So when we got to Life Church and we found a bunch of other young couples with kids, we were like, oh, our people, 
yes. That was really good for us. We needed that, and we were able to minister to each other, and it was really good for a while. And then we started finding it harder to stay connected. Uh, we ended up moving houses, and so it was a lot further drive to be with the people we knew on Wednesday nights. Um, a lot of things happened that, that just made it clear to us that, again, our family was being called and growing in one direction, and the church we were at was going a different one. So and we started looking around again, and um, uh, we had been involved in VBS already. Uh, they, they got Amy first, helping out in the kitchen, and, and then they got me helping out in the kitchen, and then I got uh, uh, a crew of my own, and then I was, a, um, I was the games person one year, and then they, they finally got me on stage. And I have just really enjoyed it. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but um, I really like doing what I do at VBS. It's, it's fun, but I can tell that God's working, and it's, it's just so cool to see how, how vibrant and full of life all the kids are. I'm, I'm grateful to have that. Uh, when, when we came here uh, to visit, <laughs> famous last words, uh, we, uh, we were in kind of a hard spot. I'd just been fired um, and didn't have anything on the horizon. And as soon as I came here, people started praying for me, actually probably some of them before we came. Um, and that meant a lot because at Life Church, we had talked to the, uh, the person who was the head of our volunteer group. We had, we served at Life Church, and uh, when we asked for prayer because I'd lost my job, the, um, the sum total of, of our leader's response was, bummer, man. I was like, that's all you got? Because I need more. So, so then we came here, and the first Sunday we came, people are laying hands on me and praying for me, and I'm, wow. People here care for other people. And the more I get to know you all, the more I see that that's true across the board. Not only do people here know each other, people here stay connected with each other and care for each other. And we bear each other's burdens here. And it's very clear if you start talking to people, you start doing some of the things that the people here do, you're like, wow, this is a community. And that was something that we hadn't seen in a, in a church body before. And that's, that's one of the main things that we enjoy here and are thankful for, is the community that we are. And we're a beautiful mess, aren't we? <laughs> Flawed, and, and we've got weaknesses and shortcomings, and, and we're all getting older, right? Because everybody is all the time. But God's here, and he shines through us to each other, to other people. It's so clear. And I'm so grateful to get to be a part of that. Uh, I'm going to take you a little deeper inside of me. Um, hello, my name is James, and I'm a recovering perfectionist. Can I get an amen from anyone else in the house here? Uh, I, uh, I became a recovering perfectionist in high school. Um, I was that kid in school, the one in the front row, who always had his homework done and was always saying, don't we have a quiz today? <laughs> you can imagine how this endeared me to my classmates. <laughs> I didn't care. 
I was there to do as well as I could at school. Whether I was the only one there, or whether there were 80 people in the room, I didn't, didn't matter. I was not there for friends. And I'm sorry to say, um, I didn't realize how, how many advantages I had in that regard until after high school. Uh, there were a lot of things that my friends went through that I had, that I, I was so unfettered with regard to school. It was very easy for me to do well. And a lot of my friends didn't have, they had a lot of obstacles that I didn't see, I didn't know about, and I didn't make allowances for. Uh, so one day, I was, uh, I was a senior in high school. I had been um, on the football team, that was my sixth year on the football team, and I loved football, fell in love with it when I was three. My parents were watching a game on TV, and I saw one of the helmets, and I was like, I want one of those. And I, I still like watching football, but um, as a junior, I had been severely injured. Um, my ankles got really twisted in a bad way, and so I was I was having to deal with the um, the care and maintenance of, of an ankle injury. Uh, our team was terrible. Uh, we went um, two and eight my sophomore year, then got a new coach and went one and nine in my junior year, and then built on that and went one and nine again my senior year. Uh, the year after that, they got another new coach and went eight and two and went to the state playoffs, but. Uh, <laughs> I was happy for my brothers because they were on that team. But. So I was, I was dealing with the frustrations of football. I was dealing with a lot of pressure as a high school senior, uh, test scores and grades and, and several other things. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to do well at everything all the time. And I cracked. Uh, don't remember exactly when, but somewhere in the fall semester, I came home partway through the day in tears, and I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I learned a big lesson uh, through that. The um, lesson I learned was that if, if you can learn to accept and love yourself with your flaws, weaknesses, shortcomings, humanness, uh, it's a lot easier to accept and love other people with their flaws and their weaknesses and their humanness. So I am, I am a um, very grateful recovering perfectionist because of that. Um, perfectionism's a lie anyway. That's, that's not really the point. We're not here to fix everything wrong with this planet. We're not here to fix everything wrong with each other. God, what a terrible job that'd be anyway. Um, we're, we're here to let God do the fixing. We're here to let him work through us and not to do his work for him. Uh, and I need to be reminded of that sometimes. Um, I have been reminded also um, that this life, this world is not our resting place. This is not paradise. Things are not supposed to be perfect here. This is the desert with a Canaan view. This is not the promised land. And so... It's important to uh, remember that sometimes. We, we get this idea, especially here in the States, uh, where everything is so affordable and uh, money can fix or fix a lot of things, a lot of artificial things in our lives, that things, things can be perfect. We can keep them perfect all the time. Nope. 
I was very grateful that um, my two oldest children have to deal with three younger siblings because it messes with your world, man. I know. They, they grab stuff, they break it, and I'm sorry, but it's good for you. Um, <laughs> I shared a room with my two brothers growing up for 16 years of my life, and I was the neatest one. But it was good preparation. I had five different roommates in college, and I was also the neatest one there. But it didn't bother me because I'd had brothers before that had messed things up. Um, this life is all about growth and change. Uh, I always tell my, my students, who are all much younger than me, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And that always messes with them a little bit because they're like, but you are growing up. I'm like, no. You never stop growing. You stay connected to the vine, you will bear much fruit. And I don't know if you've ever had vines in your yard, but they don't stay right here, do they? They grow all over the place. They put down roots. They wrap around things. They make leaves and flowers. And one day you turn around, you're like, my word, something's about to eat our shed. You stay connected to Christ, and you're going to grow. You're going to change. You're going to have to wrap around some new things. I've had to wrap around several new things this year. Never built a deck before. A deck has been built, thanks to a lot of you. <laughs> um, never been an elder before. Learning about being an elder, and so far, so good. Microphone hasn't fallen off again like it did before, but... Um, I was transferred from teaching high school. After teaching high school and middle school for 20 years this year, I'm teaching fifth grade. I'm learning, <laughs> trying to learn. <laughs> that alone would have been enough of a change, but I'm the only male teacher in the building. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that means so much to me that that means anything to you. Appreciate that. Because sometimes it feels a little lonely. Mm. So all these learning and changing things, all these surprises that God gives to us, it's important. Because if, if we knew it all ahead of time, if we could control it all all the time, would we need him? We wouldn't see that we need him, would we? It's important that we stumble. It's important that we struggle. It's important that we have to cry out for help so that we remember what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be vessels. We're supposed to be weak because his strength is made perfect in our. If we're not weak or if we don't see ourselves as weak, his strength's not going to be made perfect in us. So it's important that we have, have some issues. We don't have to see far enough to know why everything. I'm one of those people that likes to ask why. My dad teaches philosophy. I can't help it. I've got children that like to ask why, too. And I have found, again, being, being a parent teaches you a lot of things. I've found with kids that you can't always tell them why. Sometimes you just don't have the brain power. But sometimes they're not going to understand the answer. It wouldn't make any sense if you told them why. God's the same way. His plans are so big, so far-reaching, and so connected that, that it... If he tried to explain it to us, we wouldn't get it. We'd still have more questions. So I'm learning to, uh, 
to trust. It's not easy, but it's important. It's important not to try to plan everything out for yourself and to depend on the plan. Make plans, but plan on the plans changing uh, because his ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts and life happens. Um, After this church prayed for me to get a job, uh, we were here for a year and I had a job and then I lost that one. And everybody prayed for me again. And I got another one. And that job keeps changing. So, um, so we keep praying, we keep growing, we keep trusting. And um, God has a lot left to write in our story. He's not done. It's not over. Uh, every um, story with tragedies in it isn't necessarily a tragic story. Some of our favorite stories have very hard moments in them. The Bible has a lot of very unholy things in it. People doing terrible things to each other. But that's not the end of the story. And that's not the main point. That's important to remember. Our story is not over. This church's story is not over. I don't know exactly what God has for the future of TCF, but I'm learning to trust him to reveal it bit by bit because I'm not ready for the whole thing. Not all at once. And it's important, too, that we, um, as, as the elders do here, um, look at God through the lens of all of his word. I have heard of, watched, experienced a lot of Christian people who mean very well um, take out one part of the Bible and just focus right on that, and that's all they ever talk about. And I'm sorry, but that's not all there is. You've got to read the whole story. You've got to read the whole Bible to get the right picture of God. And that's what this body presents. We all have different stories. We all have different personalities. We all wear different clothes. Thank you, Dallas, for your ties. Appreciate those. But it's important. God is not just one kind of personality. He doesn't just connect with one kind of person. And it takes a church with all these different kinds of people who have been connected to by God to present a picture of God to the world. And I'm getting the look that I probably need to wrap things up. So, um, a verse that we've been studying at, at our school a lot recently that has really been important to me, Genesis 50, 20. Joseph's talking to his brothers. They've done terrible things to him. He's been through 13 years of being mistreated and unfairly accused and and all this other stuff. But he realizes finally what it's for. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's the important thing. Thank you. Sitting here listening to these three brothers, I think, what a great glimpse of what we have to look forward to in the future and the ministry that each of them will bring, each unique in the way they presented themselves and the things they had to say. But, uh, but it, it, it just made me excited about our future with these three brothers as part of our leadership. Um, the other thing I thought is I really, really, really wish that I and the other group of elders that prayed and sought the Lord and finally 
identified these three and uh, directed by the Holy Spirit. I wish I could take credit for that. <laughs> you know, I mean, when you see these three guys and there's just a, there's just a sense of rightness, especially after hearing them today, these things that we saw in their lives. And I really wish we could take credit for that, but we can't. You know, we sought the Lord and we believe the Lord directed us and we're grateful for that. So let's stand together. Uh, we will have a benevolence offering at the end of our service today, which means there'll be a basket down here. And uh, if you have uh, money you'd like to put toward our benevolence fund, you should feel free to do that. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you once more, Lord, for helping us identify these three brothers, for bringing them to us sovereignly in their own uh, timing and your timing and in the way that you chose to do that. And now, Father, uh, helping them as they uh, lead this church with, uh, with the whole group of elders, Father. We're grateful for this, and we ask you to continue to bless them and help them to grow and encourage them, Father. Uh, help them to cast their cares upon you as they find uh, challenges in leading the church and uh, face some of the challenging issues that we sometimes do as elders, Father. We're grateful for them, Father, and ask you to bless them and encourage them and their families, we pray. Thank you, Father, for gathering us here together. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, that we have the privilege of serving you day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed.